Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, we are in the middle of a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And um, has the Holy Spirit been working on anyone besides me? Two people, that's good. So I'm glad, glad that the Lord is speaking to a couple of us. Uh, has he pointed out some things in your life that you might need to work on? Uh, some areas where some fruit needs to be cultivated. Uh, well, in week one, it was a bit of a transitional message because we spent several weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, his gifts that he provides uh, for us as believers into the body of Christ. And we moved from talking about who the Holy Spirit is and His gifts uh, into talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about how we cannot elevate the gifts of the Spirit above the fruit. I mean, I feel like in in some ways the gifts of the Spirit were manifested here today. Like the Lord prompted us to pray for people and His presence was in the room. And and I know that Paul gives us a list of nine things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but that's not an exhaustive list of all of the gifts of the Spirit. But we cannot elevate the gifts above the fruit. So for example, the gifts moved and people experienced God and it's like, wow, God was in the room. But if you felt that there was a conflict in us as leaders... You're watching our social media and you know our lives and you know we're, you know, yelling at our kids and doing things that are inappropriate and sleeping around and whatever. The gift would be negated by the lack of fruit in our life. You would you'd be like, this is something's off about this. You know what I mean? So we can't elevate gifts above the fruit. And we spent time looking at 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul said, if we speak in the tongues of men and angels, if we prophesy, if we have words of knowledge, in other words, if we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but do not have love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, then we are nothing. We are just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, Paul said. Let me say it another way. We're just an obnoxious noise. And so we said that when we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but are devoid of the fruit of the Spirit, that we do damage to the kingdom of God. Listen, God is more concerned with who we are than what we do. And I know that sounds cliche, but there are too many professing Christ followers with a platform whose words and lives don't match. Remember, God is calling us to be people of His Spirit, not only His gifts, but also His fruit, so that our character is in alignment with our charisma. The second week of the series, we kind of did a semi-deep dive into what Paul calls the acts of the flesh. And he says that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. In Galatians 5.24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen to the language that Paul's using. Crucifixion was a brutal way to die. And the implication is that putting our flesh to death is going to be difficult. There are no get-rich-quick schemes or super-powered diet pills in the kingdom. And I mean that metaphorically from a spiritual standpoint. Cultivating and fertilizing and caring for our fruit tree takes work. Bible reading helps. Prayer, worship, etc. That helps. But the reality is, is we don't just wake up in the morning, read a few verses, say a prayer, and then the battle's over. The battle is continuous and ongoing. We have to continuously crucify the acts of the flesh so that we can be people of the Holy Spirit. Now, last week we talked about how bearing fruit isn't optional, it's a command. 
And we specifically talked about love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. We talked about how Jesus gave us a new command from John chapter 13. A new command I give you, he says in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, by what? By the way we love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Following the command of Jesus to bear much fruit and to love one another as Christ has loved us will clearly identify us as followers of Jesus. The reality is, is each of these fruits could be its own series. So these messages over the next couple of weeks will be flyover in a lot of ways. And we're, we're going to continue this series throughout July, and then we'll be starting something new in August. But once again, let's revisit what Paul's words in Galatians 5. Galatia would have been uh, modern-day Turkey. So this is the first century church. He's writing a letter to modern-day Turkey, and he says, Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live with the Spirit, or by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. All right, so today we're going to open the discussion on the next two fruits on the list. Last week we talked about love. Today we're going to begin the conversation on joy and peace. I mean, how many of you think... That you could use a little more joy and peace in your life. How many of you think that the world could use a little more joy and peace? A lot of times in communication, they want you to try to define or present a problem to the audience. And then you can break it down and talk about said problem. But to be honest, I don't want to, nor do I think I need to define the problem. At least not in a deep dive kind of way. We all know that we need more peace and joy in our lives. We all know that the world needs more peace and joy. According to Mental Health America, there are 50 million Americans are, who are suffering from mental illness. This includes anything, uh, anything diagnosed ranging from mild to severe. I can't imagine what the number would be if it included all those things that are not diagnosed. Look, as is, nearly one in five Americans is experiencing a mental health issue, not including the ones that haven't been to the doctor. Antidepressant medication is up 300% in the last 10 years and it's continuing to grow. Again, I'm not going to spend an exuberant amount of time defining the problem. One in five Americans is experiencing mental health issues, anxiety, depression, etc. That means that in a crowd this size, statistically, there's a lot of people that are battling mentally. And maybe you're like, hey, this doesn't apply to me. Okay, well, maybe it doesn't right now, but at some point it will. Because we all face things that are sent to attack and put our joy and peace at risk. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how our fruit isn't just for us. So this is not a battle that you face. Know that as you begin to, to manifest peace and joy in your life, other people can take a bite of that. And you can bring peace and joy into other people's lives. So it's not an area you're currently struggling with. Then be a person who brings peace and joy into every situation that you go into. Be be, be, the, be the, 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 the person who comes into that group of five and says, hey, I'm going to be the peace and the joy. I'm going to help you carry your burden. So rather than focus on the problem, I'm going to give us some simple solutions. And if you've been around a while, you know I don't always do points, one, two, and three. Sometimes you leave, you're probably like, I don't even know what the point was. But today, I'm going to give us three ways to cultivate peace and joy in our lives. 
All right. Sometimes we do a deep dive into scripture. Sometimes we dissect words and we talk about the Greek and the Hebrew and all of the nuance. But today's going to be simple and practical. Again, I said this last week, but sometimes we don't need new information. We need to do something with the information we already have. Paul tells us in his letter to Romans. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Last year we discussed each of these topics in detail. Look, we know that we're righteous. That means right standing with God because of what Christ did for us. If you're a Christ follower, if you have accepted Christ into your life, you are a Christ follower, you are in right standing with God because of what Jesus did for us. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't be good enough to be righteous. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's his righteousness that makes us righteous. And so when we're resting in Christ's righteousness, we are and we are exhibiting uh, peace and joy from our lives. We are living examples of the kingdom of God here on earth. Because righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that's the kingdom of God. Paul is echoing the words of Jesus that we read last week in John 15. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When we show ourselves to be disciples, that's the kingdom of God manifesting. When we bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, when we're acting the way that, we're, that, that Scripture tells us to, we are revealing ourselves as disciples of Jesus. When we're resting in righteousness, exhibiting joy and peace, which again are fruits of the Spirit, we bring the kingdom of God to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of the Father is that we bear much fruit. So number one on the list today, the path to peace and joy begins with an inventory of our input. The path to peace and joy begins with an inventory of our input. What are we allowing into our lives? Listen, I know this is basic. We talked about this in e-groups this past week. There's a lot of Christianity 101 that we just bypass because we think we're somehow beyond the foundational principles of the gospel. But we have to take an inventory of our input. If there's a lack of peace and joy in your life, what what are you listening to? What's your go-to radio station? What songs are on your Spotify and Apple playlist? What podcasts are you listening to? Whose voice are you allowing to speak into your life? What are you watching? What shows do you watch? What channels do you watch? What series are you currently binging? Stranger things. (laughs) You say, come on, Randy, what does this have to do with anything? You really think the music I listen to or the shows I watch affect my peace and joy? Yes, I do. First of all, it's been proven scientifically. Right? At this point, the studies are numerous on how the news and social media and our input affects our lives. But more importantly, Jesus told us over 2,000 years ago what it would do. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if you're looking at healthy things, it will impact. But what happens if you're looking at things that are not healthy? Things that are dark. Your life will be full of darkness. Luke 6, 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes 
or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if what's coming out of us is the opposite of joy and peace, it's a clear indication that our input is the opposite of joy and peace. Jesus is basically telling us garbage in, garbage out. Take inventory of your input. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? That brings us to number two. Take inventory of the words that you're speaking. Your mouth will reveal what's in your heart. We just read the words of Jesus. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Paul tells us in Romans, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We've talked about this many times. Faith comes by hearing. So God kind of faith comes from hearing God's word. But the inverse is also true. Negative kind of faith comes from hearing negative words or negative things. See, we have to take an inventory of the words that we're speaking because the, the most constant and influential voice that we hear is our own. So our input affects what we say. What we say determines what we believe and what we believe determines how we live. And many of you have heard me talk about the belief expectation cycle and ungodly beliefs in the past. It's a concept that's so powerful. I think it's worth discussing again and again and again. And so it's going to just, it's a thread that's going to weave its way into our ministry all the time. But those of you that aren't familiar, ungodly beliefs are anything that you believe which is not in agreement with God's word, his nature, or his character. All right, so an ungodly belief, anything that we believe that is not in agreement with God's word, his nature, or his character. This includes all of our beliefs, the decisions we make, our attitudes, agreements, judgments, expectations, vows and oaths that we make that do not agree with God's word, his nature is or his character are ungodly beliefs. Let me give you some examples. And these are things that we would say either internally with our own self-talk and and in your self-talk doesn't just stay in your brain. It comes out your mouth because it gets in your heart. And this is, is and we're forming this like faith comes from hearing. And so when we're saying these kinds of things, it causes us to begin to believe them. We establish these ungodly beliefs. I'm all alone. Nobody is there for me. My survival depends only on me and my abilities. I can't trust anyone. Anybody ever said that? Anybody say it all the time? You feel like you guys can't trust anybody. I say it. You know, now that I say that out loud, like I'm saying, you can't trust anybody. You know, that's, that's an ungodly belief. That's not really true. Because we can't, we can place our faith in Jesus. Nobody really loves me. I'm unlovable. Everyone I care about leaves. Have you heard or said any of those things yourself? Not just said them, but you believe them. See, when we begin to believe these kinds of things about ourselves, you can fill in the blank, whatever it might be. And there are endless numbers of ungodly beliefs. When we begin to believe these kinds of things about ourselves, we will enter into a negative belief expectation cycle. I know some of you have heard this before, but again, it's worth repeating. A negative belief expectation cycle. All right, it's like this. Beliefs are formed out of an experience. All right, so you have an experience. Then you have a belief. These beliefs lead us to expect that similar things will happen to us. These expectations of life shape our behavior and affect the behavior of other people. These behaviors lead to repeated experiences that continue to reinforce our beliefs. And when we're stuck in an ungodly belief, we get these negative belief expectation cycles and I don't, 
this is kind of a flyover. We don't have time to do a deep dive, but those of you that have been around, went around a while, you've, you've, you've heard a lot of this. But like, you, you see this in people who are repeatedly in negative relationships. Over and over and over and over again, I'm going into a, an abusive, you know, romantic relationship. You go in, everything's great. Bells and whistles, amazing. I found the love of my life. And then somehow it just turns and it's just abusive. And then you break up. You're like, I'm better than this. I'm doing that. And then your belief is somehow we take the, this is just an example. Somehow the person will take this belief that I'm just, I'm unworthy of love. And so as we begin to believe that, we begin to act that way. We enter into another relationship and then our actions affect the relationship again. It's like I'm in this cycle now. Now I'm in another abusive relationship. All I did was change people. But the real relationship is exactly the same. That's when we get stuck in this belief, expectation cycle over and over again. And maybe you're wondering what this has to do with joy and peace. When we live our life based on ungodly beliefs, the fruit that it produces is anxiety and depression and defeat. I love the quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle that a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. So when we begin to believe these things about ourselves and we begin to speak them, remember point two is take inventory of the things that you're speaking because what we speak becomes, that's what we begin to believe. See, we have to begin to break the negative belief expectation cycle, which produces the opposite of peace and joy. And one of the ways that we do that is changing the way that we speak. Remember, the most constant and influential voice that we hear is our own. And so when we continually bring our words into alignment with what God has said about us or a situation, it will produce peace and joy. Look, when my life is in chaos, instead of embracing the chaos and believing a lie that I'll never have peace or joy, I can look back on the faithfulness of God and begin to declare what he's already said. That he'll never leave you nor forsake you. My peace I leave with you, he said. I'm loved. I have a purpose. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have the mind of Christ. That's why I love that song that we've been singing. Fear is not my future. You are. Sickness is not my story. You are. Heartbreak is not my home. You are. Death is not the end. Jesus, you are. When we begin to talk like that on a regular basis, we can begin to demolish the strongholds in our lives and we can replace the lies with the truth of God's word because faith comes by hearing. What you hear is what you believe and the most constant voice that you hear is your own. And so when we begin to speak and declare the goodness and the faithfulness and the promises of God, it will create a godly belief expectation cycle that produces joy and peace. So number one, take inventory of your input. Number two, take inventory of your words. Number three, slow down. Slow down for peace and joy. Look, it's no secret that we're all in too big of a hurry. Right. We our lives are constantly on the edge with no margin for error. Most of us in the room are one traffic jam away from our entire day being derailed. (laughs) And we're going to talk more. We're going to talk deeply, more deeply about this at a later time when we we're going to be doing a series on Sabbath. We're going to talk about slow down and Sabbath and rest. But for now, let's just say that most of us are moving at a pace that's not conducive to peace or joy. Amen. It's not conducive. Well, I want peace and joy. And then we're moving at warp speed and we just, you, you can't experience it. 
In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, a book I highly recommend, it's the most influential book I've ever read in my entire life outside of the Bible, author and pastor Pete Scazzaro describes what he calls loving union. Now, in order to describe it, let me first tell you what it is not. All right, he says this, quote, Loving union is not the de facto equivalent of devotion and quiet time, nor is it about engaging in a long list of spiritual practices or having emotionally intense experiences with God. Loving union is not about managing your schedule better or simply not being busy. It's not so much about having a sustainable pace of life. As important as such things may be, it is, it is possible to engage in them without necessarily experiencing loving union. All right, so theologian Hans-Jörg von Balthasar, he describes Jesus by saying this, Here is a man, sinless, because he has lovingly allowed the, Father, the Father's will full scope in his life. In other words, loving union is to lovingly allow God to have full access to our lives. Complete, full access. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, when we're in loving union, we don't just open the door, we keep the door wide open. We allow the will of the Father to have full access to, access to every aspect of our lives. But cultivating this kind of relationship with God cannot be hurried or rushed. We must slow down and build into our lives a structure and a rhythm that makes this kind of surrender routinely possible. See, a life outside of loving union with Jesus will result in us being unhealthy in our spirit, soul, and body. We'll be unhealthy spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And when we're unhealthy, you can rest assured that the fruits of the Spirit are not manifesting. I love the explanation that Pete Scazzaro gives in the book when he says this, and see if you can relate to any of this. He says, the emotionally unhealthy person is someone who operates in a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit, lacking the emotional maturity and being with God sufficient to sustain the doing for God. Spiritual deficits reveal themselves in too much activity. Unhealthy people engage in more activities than their combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. They give out for God more than they receive from Him. They serve others in order to share the joy of Christ, but that joy remains elusive to themselves. In their more honest moments, they admit that their cup with God is empty or at best half full but hardly overflowing. Have you ever felt that way? You're just doing, doing, doing for God. And a lot of it goes back to what we started earlier. We were talking about the righteousness. We're doing, trying to earn this approval. We don't have enough being with God to sustain our doing for Him. Like, I don't know if that hits you as hard as it hits me, but I can't think of a better description of the modern church and Christendom. By and large, we are living and leading on empty. Loving union. Jesus described it as staying connected to the vine. Let's read the words of Jesus once again in John 15. Remain in me as I also remain in you. This is verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
It must remain in the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, outside of remaining in Jesus, there can be no fruit in our lives. Outside of loving union, there can be no fruit. And the only way to enter into that kind of relationship with Jesus is to slow down. We have to make time for silence and solitude in our lives. We must create margin, time for reflection, time to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have to slow down. Dr. Martin Luther King was catapulted to the national spotlight during the year-long boycott of the bus system by black residents in Montgomery, Alabama. And Dr. King had been a pastor there for more than nine years, and he's quoted as saying this, quote, from early morning to late at night, my telephone rang and my doorbell was seldom silent. And so he moved his family from Montgomery to Atlanta, Georgia, where he could have silence that he needed to, quote, meditate and think through the total struggle ahead. He said, I knew I could not continue to live such a tension filled schedule. My failure to reflect would do harm not only to me as a person, but to the total movement. And so for that reason, I felt a moral obligation to do it. A moral obligation to separate himself from all of the noise so that he could have time for solitude, time to reflect, time to pray, time to strategize. All of the things that went with what he was doing. We talked about that last week, the kingdom of noise, as C.S. Lewis calls it. But I think we can find similarities in our own spiritual lives. Continuing to live such a tension-filled schedule will do harm to us individually, and it will also do harm to the body of Christ at large. The path to joy and peace, it begins, number one, by taking inventory of our input. Number two, taking inventory of our words And number three, slowing down for loving union or slowing down to connect to the vine. Now, listen, I know that these are a lot of general statements that I've made today. And really, a lot of it was oversimplification. I told you on the front end, we're just going to be quick, fast and in a hurry, going to be practical. Just give you these points. And while I believe that these steps are scriptural and will help us be people of peace and joy, I realize that we're all of us are in a different place on this journey. Listen, God wants us to do what we can do. But there are times when we need outside help. Sometimes that can be a friend, a loved one to come alongside of us to pray and encourage us, pray with us. But other times we need a God-fearing, spirit-filled professional to help us walk through a process of healing. Listen, a life consistently full of depression and anxiety with a lack of joy and peace is an indicator that there's a deep wound that needs to be healed. If you're carrying a life consistently, look, we all go through ups and downs. That's just, it is what it is, right? We have, that's life. We're all facing different things. But if your life is consistently marked with depression and anxiety, it's an indicator that there's a wound somewhere that Jesus wants to heal. Sometimes God will step in and bring instantaneous healing. We praise God for those moments. We pray for those moments. We believe those moments are scriptural. 
right? And we want them to manifest. So we pray for those things to manifest on a regular basis. But sometimes God uses another person or another avenue to help us on our journey of healing. Don't fall into the trap of trying to do it all on your own. There's a difference in solitude and isolation. Solitude is a place of reflection, but isolation is a place where you're keeping everybody out. Sometimes there's a negative stigma that accompanies someone who needs counseling. But don't listen to that lie. Listen, I've been very open about my own journey. One of the ministries that I dearly love and believe in is called Restoring the Foundations. And I went through my first session of Restoring the Foundations in 2011, RTF for short. But RTF saved my life. I was in a tailspin. I was crashing, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. I was visualizing my own funeral. Saw myself laying there. Knew who was singing what songs and where they were. I knew the right things to do. But I had deep, deep wounds that only Jesus could heal. Since that initial weekend that I spent receiving healing from the Holy Spirit, I've been back to RTF multiple times. And for me, and for the foreseeable future, it's something that I'm going to do yearly. It's, it's an intense like counseling type of, of, it's like a spiritual, almost deliverance type atmosphere. I, I'm on a journey too. I want to be as healthy as I can be, spirit, soul, and body. I mean, I'm working on scheduling this year's appointment as, as we speak. Is my life so terrible that if I don't go, I'm going to fall apart without it? No. But again, I'm on this journey to be healthy so that I can bear the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm committed to the process no matter what it looks like. Going through counseling or therapy, bearing your soul and digging up things that you thought you'd already dealt with or things you didn't want to deal, deal with is not easy. It's not. But sometimes it's necessary. Why am I telling you all this? Look, I know I gave us three practical things. And my perspective is from a pastoral side, from a spiritual side. But I'm fully aware that there can also be a medical component to depression and anxiety. And when we don't experience peace and joy, there could be other things that are going on. And I would never want to negate or minimize any of that. But no matter what or why we, no matter what we're facing or why we are facing it, I believe Jesus is our healer. Look, the truth is, in a lot of ways, when we minister here in one-on-one -on -one sessions or during prayer times, we use a lot of what was learned in RTF sessions. Jesus is our healer, and the Father wants to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us areas that need to be healed so that we can begin to bear fruit. And so real quick, again, the path to joy and peace. One, take inventory of your input. What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? Who's speaking into your life? Two, take inventory of your words. What are you saying? What are you saying about yourself? Do you have ungodly beliefs? Do you have strongholds in your mind that need to be torn down so that you can begin to speak what God says about you? Three, slow down for loving union or slow down to connect to the vine. And then the fourth one was seek counseling if necessary. Because there's some things you just can't beat on your own. Path to joy and peace. Take inventory of your input. I know it's simple. Take inventory of your words. Slow down. Seek counseling if necessary. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, 
We'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.